This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. Yeah, IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com forward slash B. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for FlexBlocks. Win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Yeah, make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com slash BE. This episode of the EduTech Eyes is brought to you by Project Tomorrow. The vision of Project Tomorrow is to ensure that today's students are well prepared to be tomorrow's innovators, leaders, and engaged citizens of the world. They believe that by supporting the innovative uses of science, math, and technology resources in our K-12 schools and communities, students will develop the critical thinking, problem-solving, and creativity skills needed to compete and thrive in the 21st century. They approach their mission through national research projects, the replication of model excellence projects in schools and communities, online tools and resources for students, teachers, and parents, and national and regional advocacy efforts. You're listening to the EduTech Guys, edutechguys.com. Hey, welcome back to the EduTech Guys. We're excited to have our next guest on the show. Um, We're going to let her introduce herself, tell us who she is and what she does and all that kind of good stuff. So here we go. Well, hi, folks. Uh, My name is Julie Evans. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Project Tomorrow. We're a national education nonprofit group. We're the crazy folks who every year facilitate the Speak Up Research Project. And I'm proud to tell you, proud and scared at the same time, to tell you that we have been doing that work since 2003, which makes this fall our 20th anniversary of facilitating a unique and free opportunity for every K-12 school and district to learn about the views of their stakeholders. I think that's pretty exciting. That is amazing to think you've been doing this for you know 20 years hosting that, especially that particular aspect of what you guys do. And I, I'm curious to, I'm, I'm just going to jump right in here into the deep stuff, if you will. Um, so looking back over the past 20 years of this project, what are some of the things that kind of stand out as being, um, I don't think that have, that have changed, evolved, possibly devolved over that time. Oh, it's fascinating. Um, I'll tell you a little story. Okay. So uh, back in 2003, when we ran Speak Up for the first time, and we did that at the behest or request of the U.S. Department of Education, because they were writing a new ed tech plan at the time. 
mm. uh, National Ed Tech Plan, and they were looking for some input from students. Uh, so we designed and implemented Speak Up as part of that. I was then interviewed after the results came out that spring on CNN. And the big news was what was the, what were the types of mobile devices that students had, the universality of mobile devices that students had. Now, let's think back to 2003. There was no uh, smartphones. There was no devices in terms of tablets. Mm -hmm. um, in 2003. So in 2003, the number one mobile device that kids reported having was a CD burner. <laughs> a mobile device. <laughs> when was the last time you thought or even mentioned the word CD burner? You know, so, I was looking for the other day and I couldn't find one. So. <laughs> So how interesting to, to sort of use that as a contextual point for how the use of technology has changed, whether that's in students' personal lives uh, mm -hmm. or in what's happening in the classroom. Um, I've actually been uh, playing around with a phrase kind of from CDs to AI in terms mm -hmm. of where we've been over the last 20 years. You know, I would say, folks, that the, the big thing that I've seen in that data, and, and we do have this amazing longitudinal database of every year's worth of perspectives of students, of teachers, of parents and administrators, is that obviously technology is not the nice to have anymore. It's the essential component of the learning process. And I just was part of the uh, team that's putting together the new National Ed Tech Plan. And so many people that we interviewed for that plan said, why are we calling it the National Ed Tech Plan? Why isn't it just the National Education Plan? Because technology is so seamlessly integrated into that. And so that's a pretty dramatic difference from when we were first asking folks their, their views, their ideas, their aspirations back in 2003. So I think that's pretty significant. I think the other one that we've seen and most recently have seen this because of the pandemic, because of the virtual learning experiment, is that it's not just about the activity of what are we doing? Are we using this product or that product? How often are we using it? Um, I think for so long, we talked about what I call the nouns of ed tech uh, and not so much around the verbs. And so now we're talking more about the verbs. We're talking about the impact. We're talking about how it's helping students be more efficient and effective learners, how it's helping teachers be more efficient uh, instructors, how it's helping build community, how technology can help connect students and teachers in new and interesting ways, and how we're helping students develop the skills they need for the future. So it's less about the stuff and more about the purpose and the why. And I think that that's also a pretty significant change over the last 20 years. So I have to ask, you're in so, you guys are in so many communities and so many schools. Um, last two years, let's just say since the pandemic, um, best models you've seen, best, you know, the best projects you've seen take hold and what that's, that's meant to you guys and what it's meant to the other schools that you're working with. And are you seeing this in different parts of the country? Are you seeing some of the same are you seeing different things depending on that part of the country? That's always a fascinating question. You know, we, we continue to see what I call campfires of innovation across mm -hmm. the country. 
So, and you know, because you interview a lot of these folks, um, where there's a visionary leader, they're uh, going against the grain, shall we say, in terms of what should be done. Uh, they're courageous. They've got uh, expert talents and skills in building a vision and building community around that vision. We see that. Uh, we're not seeing the universality of that across the country yet. We're still seeing it more as campfires of innovation. And so for any one of the different themes that we could talk about, I could give you examples of different types of campfires and how they are really not just illuminating what's going on, but they're actually stimulating more innovation. And I think that's really interesting. What we still have more work to do, though, is how do we how do we translate those good practices, those good, good ideas, those innovations so that people don't have to start at the beginning over and over again and reinventing fire yeah. to be able to uh, get there? You know, I think one of the things that, that's been most interesting coming out of just the last couple of years after the pandemic, virtual learning, um, was this closer relationship in terms of communications between teachers and students. I just think that is absolutely fascinating. You know, we always have talked about the importance of relationship, teacher-student relationship, impacting the learning process, impacting learning outcomes. For a lot of students, they actually establish new modes and methods of communication with their teachers during virtual learning, and that has continued on. So I think back, folks, to um, during the pandemic when I was interviewing students, as I always do, you know, I do that all the time, and the students were telling me that one of the takeaways was that they were learning how to use email because email wasn't a communication tool they were using. And now today, we see students reporting that their communication with their teachers, over 60% of them are regularly emailing with their teachers. That's a one-on-one -on -one communication. That's different than just posting up on a school portal or class website, oh, homework is due tomorrow, or students saying, I've got a question on this. That's relationship development. And I think that that's pretty significant. We're also seeing... And I know this will scare some of the listeners. 40% uh, of middle school and high school students say they're regularly texting with their teachers. Hmm. Now, that started during the pandemic, too. And a lot of districts don't have uh, prohibit that. They have policy mm -hmm. against that. But that's happening as well. And that speaks to the power of communications and the power of connectivity and the power of technology to enable that sort of relationship development. And I think that's amazing. And so we definitely have seen in some communities that have embraced that uh, and have really empowered and endorsed that. And some that are just not seeing that through the same lens. And I think that's true for a lot of these campfires of innovation. It really comes back to the vision of the leadership. Well, and I think one of the, you know, I'm, I'm glad, so glad you're touching on the communication aspect of it, because I think one of the things that, that has, that has come out of, you know, and this time, you know, at this point, you know, we're multiple years away from the shutdown and pandemic and all of that. But I think one of the things that, that really came out of there was that students even, you know, much more so after than before all of that came down, they need that communication 
with their teacher. And I'm sure they needed it before, or at least certainly wanted it before. And now because they were cut off and because they had to switch over to these other lines of communication, that's, you know, they've got to have that interaction. They've got to have that human touch with that, you know, with their instructors, with their teachers, mainly, you know, one of the things we, we, we can't go back again. Uh, you know, in so many schools, unfortunately, it's exactly what they did. You know, well, hey, we're back in school. Keep doing things the old school way. That, that that just doesn't fly anymore in terms of what students need. Really, a lot of it for their own, you know, social and emotional health. Oh, absolutely. I, and, you know, it's so interesting because um, and I know that the three of us have talked about this before. There's so much mythology out there or old conventional wisdom that no longer holds true, but people hang on to it, right? They can't let go of that. And so one of the things that I've always thought has been an important mission or purpose for the Speak Up research is to where we can dispel some of that mythology or knock down some of that conventional wisdom. And, you know, I mean, I think one of the things that comes up every all the time, and I present this all the time because I think it's super important, is that when we ask kids, uh, is it important for you to do well in school? I think that there is still some old mythology that says, well, that's true for some kids, but not for other kids. That some kids just don't value school or, um, and I think people sometimes conflate engagement with valuation on school. But whether it is pre-pandemic, and actually I can go back to about 2005, these numbers are so consistent. And right up till this year, over 80% of middle school and high school students say doing well in school is important for them. They value that school experience. Sometimes they don't value what we're teaching them, or maybe it isn't being taught effectively or meaningfully or providing the value proposition, but students value school. And I think that sometimes uh, people forget that, or maybe don't know, that that's so important and that is really a cornerstone in terms of what we should be focusing in on is how do we make school better for kids? They're already thinking it's important. How do we make it better for them? So let's talk about that decision-making. You know, let's talk about speak up all the research that you guys are doing there. What changes are you seeing right now? Because, you know, we're talking about since 2005, 80% of those kids are like, yeah, I'm invested in this. This is what I want. I want to do well in this. How are the parents in the communities reacting to that? How are they actually jumping on board with that? I mean, the decisions are being made now. You know what's happening here in Arkansas. The governor's uh, set the standard $50,000 pay for, te- for teachers across the board. Uh, we now have reading specialists for every district provided by the state. Uh, lots of new changes going on. Some of that happened without any input from any of us. <laughs> and so let's talk about what you guys are doing there to make sure that, that that's not happening elsewhere when these discussions are taking place. Yeah. You know, anyone today, this is the thing that's so interesting, and it's different than it was 20 years ago. Uh, anyone today could, you know, bring up a Google form and collect some input or bring up a survey monkey and collect some, put some questions out there for their community, whether it's to parents or to teachers or even to students. The problem is most people don't know then what to do with it. Mm. So if you've got the views of parents, parents' aspirations, 
parent what parents value. If you understand where students feel that they have challenges in school or what the barriers are, if you can understand what teachers need to be more effective, you can actually do something with that. But what I have found increasingly over the last couple of years is people are not necessarily good at connecting the dots on their own. So at Project Tomorrow, we're doing more to help people connect the dots. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to say that everybody's picture is the same, everybody's story is the same. It's not. Um, But to understand what the data means and what are some actions that you can take as part of that data story and what does that mean in your school or district. Remember that with Speak Up, we play at two levels. We take all of our nationally aggregated data and we create those fabulous series of reports and infographics and briefings. We do the congressional briefing every year. I'm at all the same conferences you are sharing the national data. Uh, But most importantly is the fact that a school or district that participates in Speak Up gets back all of their locally collected data. They get state level data as benchmarks. They get national level data as benchmarks so that they could start looking at something and saying, you know, I heard Julie say that 80% of students said that doing well in school is important for them. Why is it that in my school, only 60% of the kids say that? So what does that mean? Why is there a difference? And having people think reflect and really um, try to understand what the views of those stakeholders are is really important. I think that's also, I'll give you another example of that, that that I'm seeing where folks are are being cognizant of it. Sometimes we look at a statistic, and again, I live in this crazy world all day long of data, data, data. I was doing it right before I jumped on here with you. Um, But people don't understand what it means. So there's so much conversation out there right now about too much screen time, right? Uh, Maybe we should cut back on some of the technology. I did an interview the other day with a director of ed tech that said in her district, they're thinking of taking all the devices out of kindergarten, first and second grade classrooms because they're not seeing the balance. Now, some people are looking at it because they say um, our parents are telling us that it's too much screen time and thus we need to be responsive to parents, but they're actually maybe reading the data differently if they ask the question differently and if they understood some of the dynamics. So we see very high levels, like over 90% and disaggregated by urban, rural, and suburban, Title I schools and communities, all ages of parents, that when parents are asked, how important is it for your child to have access to technology to prepare them for future success? Parents are 100%, almost 100% bought in. I'm telling you, it's over 90%. But the difference is it has to be used effectively. And parents are not necessarily seeing where technology is being used effectively to support their child's learning process. You know, parents had, I know we're several years out of this, but they're hanging on to this. They had that uh, kitchen table view of what education really looks like today and what technology looks like. And they're like, huh, I thought it was different than that. I thought it was better than that, right? And so where folks are paying attention to that and thinking about, again, going back to my nouns, verbs, 
uh, thinking about the effectiveness of technology. What's the purpose of doing a Kahoot uh, quiz? Uh, why are we doing that? Is that the best way of doing it? And really being reflective. I think we're at a really amazing point in time right now to think differently about the role of technology, not just as a tool of engagement, but an actual tool to change the learning process and personalize the learning process. Parents are all over that sort of messaging. They all want learning personalized for their child. But at too many of our schools and districts, we haven't been articulating that message because we have not been looking closely enough at what effective use actually looks like. Does that make sense to you folks? Absolutely does. Yeah, tremendously. Yeah. You know, and it makes me, <clears throat> when I think about this, the listeners that are listening to this right now, they're, they're asking themselves, they, they understand exactly what you're talking about. But when we talk about a school-based program or a community-based program that you guys institute and help them to understand this even better, um, can you give, because uh, I'm thinking about our teachers, I'm thinking about our parents right now, because we've been doing some interaction with them the last few weeks. Can you give them kind of a, a little bit like a bird's eye view, maybe a little bit better understanding of what that program looks like in the school, in the yeah. community? Because that's, so, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a big one to me. Yeah. Let me give you one. You know, Project Tomorrow is involved in so many different things. And we take our own research and then we develop school and community based programming based on our own research around areas that we think are, are super interesting. One of the things that we've been doing over the last three years is that we've been focusing in on computational thinking integration within elementary classrooms. Okay. So the idea of computational thinking, not as baby computer science, not as a way to jump into a STEM career, but computational thinking as a problem solving strategy that all kids need to develop. So in starting with that program and helping elementary teachers, and we're doing that in New York City and in Michigan, helping elementary teachers understand what is computational thinking and what are the practices within the classroom, we then are providing those teachers with a purposeful use of technology so that when they are then doing a coding program, or with their students or doing something where students are creating content like making a movie or making a video or whether doing even concept maps using online tools. It's in purpose in the serving the purpose of developing effective problem solving skills. And so that the technology, not to say that we don't want technology involved in the learning process, but it needs to be purposeful and it needs to be intentional and have some bona fide outcomes coming from it. So that's why it's really been fascinating in this um, school-based program, programming that we've been working around computational thinking to see how the technology actually ends up being used more effectively because the teachers are doing it in service of helping students develop computational thinking skills, critical thinking skills, problem solving skills. They're collaborating on these projects together. So it's not the one and done technology mm -hmm. usage, but more something that really um, has some longevity and sustainability to it. And the teachers have the opportunity to see the impact. That's a that's an amazingly 
critical component of all of this is that when we are going into, and too often I still see this again, going back to my campfires of innovation, where it is, oh, well, you're going to use this tool. This is the tool that we have licensed. You're going to use this tool and you're going to use it in all of your classes, whether those are sixth grade math classes or ninth grade science classes, whatever it might be. But that by itself is actually ineffective in having teachers develop evaluation around why that's important or for them even to become more sophisticated in the usage of it. You know, because of, again, we could look at all the because of, but because of all the research that we've been doing, we have become quite expertise, uh, have quite an expertise in how teachers adopt and adapt new learning models in the classroom and what makes for sustainable change. And we have to be talking more seriously about the purposeful use of technology. So that's why I gave you that example from our computational thinking project. That's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the interesting thing about all this is, is that it's, it's so funny that you guys figured it out way before the rest of us did right. <laughs> during the pandemic, you were already preaching the right uh, story uh, and it took the pandemic for the rest of us to realize, Oh yeah, that's exactly what we were talking about with <laughs> before this all happened, you know, the one and done, that's the other bad thing that happened with the pandemic and with technology mm-hmm. is it became a one and done, you know, that was this here it is. It's done. Move on to the next step. And we lost, I personally, I believe we lost of, of advancement at that point in learning uh, teaching, teaching wound its back and it, it's kind of come back strong, I believe, but that's a big one right there. So where do you see the future? Because there's so much changing right now. I, I believe that social media What's happening with Twitter, what's happening with all this, what's happening, everything that's that's falling apart right now is going to change what's going to happen in the classroom uh, soon, possibly this semester, starting this school year. What do you think about that? There's so much happening in the country. There's so much. What's the word I'm looking for here? Trying to keep it reined in. There's so many opportunities for children to get off task, for students to get off task. And social media is one of those because it's changing. You have any thoughts on that and what you guys? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the one of the unique things, special things about Speak Up is that because we look at all this data, right? Project tomorrow, we look at all this data, we look at the longitudinal data, we look at the current data. There's actually some predictive components in there, you know, because we can see the trend lines and you can sort of see, okay, so here's a typical adoption curve and what we're seeing. And so it's always really interesting to sort of think about what this means for the future. But I agree with you. I think that we are at a real interesting inflection point in terms of thinking about some really deep questions. So what's the purpose of learning? What's the real purpose of learning? I think somewhere along the lines in some of our classrooms and some of our schools and some of our communities, we maybe either forgot what the purpose was or we changed the purpose to meet our adult needs Mm -hmm. and didn't necessarily 
think about the students. So if this gives us a moment, if there are some of these um, dynamic forces that are propelling us to revisit some of these foundational questions, what's the purpose of learning? What's the purpose of school? Mm -hmm. What do we want school outcomes to really be? I think that those are really important. You know, I think we actually talked about this last time that I was with you. Um, I, I have a new book that was published last October about free agent learners and how students are driving their own learning processes outside of school. That isn't mm -hmm. going away. That's accelerating because the school, the students actually aren't understanding what the purpose of traditional education is or traditional school. And they want to be in control of their own educational destiny. So they are driving that on their own, using their own tools outside of school around their areas of passion. I think that as we are thinking again about some of these challenges to the traditions that we have always held so dear to us, um, I mean, I'll, I'll give you one that that uh, I was having this conversation with someone the other day. It's I actually talk about it in the book. Um, if we look at most high schools, and high schools, you know, as middle schools and elementary schools, we're all talking about personalized learning, right? Everybody's mm -hmm. chatting about personalized learning and how important it is. And everyone wants personalized learning, right? And then you take a look at most high schools. And I don't know about your high school. Your high school may be the exception to the rule. Um, but you look at high schools and you see how guidance counselors or, or academic advisors are assigned to students. And in most cases, they're assigned alphabetically. So all the students with last names A through G, you go and see Mrs. Smith. And H through M, you go to see Mr. Jones. That has nothing to do with the student's interest, their career aspirations, what classes they should be taking in school. And so Mrs. Smith ends up seeing kids that are interested in joining the military, are interested in going to a trade school, are interested in going to Harvard, are maybe interested in going to a state school, are interested in, in not going anywhere. But that's all within their mix, as opposed to thinking about personalizing that process and putting expertise and assets to support that. So, uh, you know, I have seen for a long time that sometimes in education, whether it's straight education or our, our ed tech colleagues, we talk a good game about personalization. We talk a good game about differentiation. We talk a good game about the power of digital learning um, without necessarily putting meat on the bone or taking a stake or changing what we're doing. So I agree. I think that we are at an inflection point that with some of these challenges that are happening in society um, and changes that are happening in education, whether those are state initiative uh, or coming at the local school board level, that it does give us an opportunity to ask some pretty fundamental questions and to think about, reflect on where we want to go. That is all dependent upon having good leadership, however, at the school or district level that can create a vision, that have the courage to do things differently, that value the voices and views of stakeholders. It's highly dependent upon the quality of that leadership. So if I'm if I am uh, optimistic about change happening, which I am, and I see this as an inflection point, 
I am concerned about whether or not we are up to the task mm-hmm. with our leadership. Well, and I, and I think from, from, from my experience uh, in, in multiple education environments and venues for that matter, um, that um, unfortunately what I see happening multiple times over is that you do get someone or maybe even some ones who are, are in that leadership role and who are uh, open to willing to and ready to make the changes. And they try to make those changes and then they're just met with, you know, frankly, stonewall after stonewall after stonewall. And eventually they get beat down and broken down uh, by the, as we have said several times during this episode alone, you know, well, this is not the way we've done it. You know, this is the way we used to do it. Or I remember when such and such, you know, and it's, I don't know, it's, I, I, I don't know what the magic silver bullet is to, to use the vernacular, it, it, but I, I just, uh, it, it'd be great if there was an easy way. Uh, and in some cases, just any way uh, to get some of those folks to break out of that, you know, used to shell and move forward. And, and I think that's where a lot of, uh, especially folks in the leadership position, they're ready to do this and they want to, and they want to move forward and they want to expand and they, and they truly see the potential for students taking control of their own learning and unfortunately are met time and time again with such resistance. Frankly, usually it's from, uh, in my experience, it's from educators have been in place for a while, but that's not necessarily, you know, always the case. Um, but you know, so, so it, it, it's rough. So I, how would you, how would you speak to that? Yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, this is not, this is not individual school, individual district, individual community. This isn't happening here, but not happening here. Uh, it's part and parcel of the institution, right? It's part and parcel of the institution of K-12 education. It's part of the culture. Part of the culture is to revere tradition and status quo. And this is what we've always done and, uh, and not, not to think about it. Yeah. Uh, I had an education leader who said to me, all right, well, we can talk about change, but transformation, that's a scary word. Mm-hmm. So change then means uh, I'm nibbling at the edges, right? I'm not changing the way people are thinking or the way they're doing things fundamentally for in a sustainable way. And so I think from a cultural standpoint, we have to be we have to look things right in the eye and say, mm-hmm. okay, so let's be let's be serious about it. And the statistic I'll give you from Speaker is the one that is um, keeps me up at night. I often ask people, what keeps you up at night? But the one that keeps me up at night is, um, and we've been polling on this since about 2016, 2017. Only 50% of our middle school and high school students say they're engaged in what they're learning in school. Mm-hmm. Only 50%. The other 50% say they are not. And that had nothing to do with the pandemic because our data precedes that. It was exactly the same during the virtual learning. It was the same afterwards. It's the same this year. We slice and dice this on community type, Title I, uh, majority minority high schools, all the different ways that we slice and dice. It doesn't change. So mm-hmm. we've got an institution that's serving 50% of the clientele that they have. And 50% are not being met accordingly. Only a third of students say their best learning happens in their classroom today. So we've yeah. got to look this right in the eye and say, 
it, we can't continue to keep doing the same thing over and over again. Isn't that a definition of insanity or something, right? That um, we, have to, we have to think about what do we need to do? And to start that, we need to be open to the fact that it may fly in the face of what our beliefs are, what our value proposition is. I was do I was talking to someone earlier, a teacher uh, today, and they were saying, yeah, you know, the idea of, of giving up some of the power position in my classroom so that students could make decisions about their learning process is super scary. But then mm -hmm. once I did it, mm -hmm. the rewards were so tremendous. So yeah. we have to think about as a country, how do we, how do we change that culture uh, in our schools that are responsive to the needs of our stakeholders? Because too often what I find, unfortunately, is folks don't want to be responsive to their stakeholders. I mean, folks will say to me, oh, now I'm going to scare your listeners. Folks will say to me, well, why is it that every school doesn't participate in Speak Up? I have superintendents that tell me they don't want to know what their views of their parents or their students or their teachers are. That's yeah. why. So if, yep. if you're coming at that place and you're not willing to listen to at least the views of your stakeholders, you know, we've got a, We've got a long road ahead of us in terms of changing this culture. Yeah, yeah, that's been one of our themes. It's one word. It's one question for years now. Why? Why? No one, no one wants to answer the question and no one wants to ask the question. The students are asking the question tremendously. You know, I've always thought. The students could come in on that first day and they go to the chalkboard and they write down what they want to learn about skateboarding, art, taking photos. How do I make a living so I can travel the rest of my life? And then as educators, that should be so exciting to us now. Well, I teach senior English. So let me see how I can show them why we need right. to do senior English. Right. Right. And, but the part is, is, wait, I've got to go back to my file cabinet, pull out the last lessons I've been teaching for the last 18 years. Right. And I mean, I, people are like, well, Jeff, you're being too simple. No, it is actually that simple. That's where we are. Um, so it's, you know, there's, there's a great movie out there. No, it's not a great movie. It's a terrible movie. It's like some rated R kid flick, but it's called Accepted. And it's about a group of students who can't get into a college and they find a rundown place. They turn it into a college. And they make a fake website to fool their parents. And the next thing you know is they have thousands of kids registered to come to this college. So they do just that. They have a giant board out in the, in the, the quad and kids put down what they're going to study and learn. And they start studying and learning. And by goodness, all the kids are having a wonderful time and find a road to education that they never thought they'd have. No, it's a terrible movie. It's one of those kind of you know, college romp movies. But what a neat idea, right? I mean, it's like, wow, wouldn't you like to teach there? So... That's right. That's right. So this isn't just in service of students. This is also, I mean, let's think about it. In many parts of the country, I'm not familiar with what the statistics are in Arkansas right now. Uh, in California, where I am, you know, we've had a longstanding pipeline problem for teachers. Yes. You know, it's been exasperated, obviously, over the last couple of years. But we also want to make teaching a more effective process. Because so many folks, unfortunately, are walking away from teaching because they don't see the difference that they're making. It's yeah. not fitting what they want to do. And so imagine if we could not only impact the student learning components of this, but actually impact teachers feeling good about their process, about mm. the impact they're having, about their day-to-day -day work. 
that might help us stem that teacher retention crisis also. Yes, we just absolutely. Have to, you're absolutely right, though. We have to ask, the, we have to have be brave enough mm-hmm. to ask the questions and brave enough to listen to the answers. Okay, so Julie, if our listeners want to ask you those questions, <laughs> great segue, wasn't it? If they want to ask you those questions, what's the best way they can get in touch with you guys? Well, you know what? They can always contact me directly. My email is jevansatomorrow.org. Really easy. Our website is tomorrow.org. Isn't that amazing? Come and visit us and get access to all of the Speak Up findings that we put up there, all the reports, the briefings, and infographics. They also, if they are of the mindset, and I hope that they are, that they want to participate in Speak Up, that they want to use our norm tools to collect authentic and valid feedback from their stakeholders. It's absolutely free. We charge for nothing. It's part of our nonprofit mission. Why should you even bother developing your own survey when you can use this one that gives you the state and national data as comparatives for context, along with all of our tools, you can find all the information about that at tomorrow.org as well. Dr. Julie Evans, thank you for coming on the show. This was fun today. Awesome. <laughs> it was. This was great. Well, it's nice to have a little more time to spend together than, you know, quick 15 uh, a quick at, 15 a at a conference. Yeah. So, yeah, this is great. Um, well, looking forward to speaking to you in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Take care, folks. You've been listening to the EduTech Guys edutechguys.com There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com forward slash BE. Do you want to save time on prep work? Increase achievement for all student populations? Reliably meet tier one standards? You, you can, can do, do it, it all, all but, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.